All right, so I'm, I'm just curious this morning, how many of us, I'd like a show of hands if you would, how many of us intend, it is your plan to go see Avengers Endgame? Just, uh, just curious uh, how many Christians we really have here today. All right, uh, we're checking, checking your faith now. How many of you already have your tickets? Noon on Friday, amen. All right. So, uh, listen, I, so I grew up reading comic books, and I loved when special effects caught up with what the stories were trying to tell on the big screen. And, uh, and you, do you know where all of this started, by the way? Does anybody know where this, this I mean, this, the whole superhero thing on the big screen started? It started with this guy right here, right? Does anybody, okay, one more, let's, how many of us saw the first Superman movie, and you are proud of it. You know what that means about you, right? Yeah, you're old. Uh, listen, do you remember? So if you know the story, the dilemma in the first one is that Superman's girlfriend, right? There we go. Yes. Is driving through the Nevada desert when an earthquake, a crevice in the earth opens up, swallows her car. She goes down. And Superman can't get there in time because the Hoover Dam has burst and he's creating a natural dam out of boulders. Uh, but when he discovers that Lois is dead, he becomes super distraught. Not regular distraught. He's super distraught. And he, do you remember what he did? He flies around the earth in the opposite direction at super speed reversing its rotation because we all know that when you reverse the rotation of the earth, you turn time backwards, right? You know, one of the things I've told Sandy is when I go into a movie theater, right before I walk in the door, I take off reality and just hang it there. And whatever they say, I, I'm just willing to believe when I'm in a movie theater. And it's interesting because the earth rotates on its axis at 1,000 miles an hour. So if Superman had actually reversed its rotation, he may have saved Lois Lane, but the rest of the planet would have died of whiplash. Uh, so, you know, do love the movies, man. Listen, have you ever wished you could turn back time, especially after you said something or did something that you wished you hadn't said or wish you'd done? Or you missed an opportunity and you wish you could go back and make it up. But we know that in life, some Sometimes when something's done, it's done. Irreversible, right? We have all had cookies that you cannot unbake, right? We've all had that. We've all had, we've all seen, maybe not had, we've all seen the haircut that cannot be uncut. You know what I'm talking about? We've all, right, that you can't unrun a red light, especially if the police officer's right there. You cannot unrun. There are those moments when we wish we could, but... No harm, no foul, we'll get over it. Then there are other moments in life where the irreversible moments happen and they leave a hole in your heart forever. If you've ever been on the receiving end of divorce papers, if you have ever received that phone call in the middle of the night, the frantic voice at the other end, or you've gotten lab results from your doctor that affirms your worst fears. Listen, you know, you know the feeling all too well. And that, quite frankly, is where our story starts. The miracle that we're going to look at today, that's I want to bring you there because that's where we start. So if you have your Bible with you, we're in John chapter 11. If you have your uh, phone, 
and the YouVersion app. You've got our notes there as well. This seventh miracle from the Gospel of John that we're going to look at, the last miracle before uh, the big miracle, Jesus is raising from the dead on Easter. This involves his good friend whose name is Lazarus. So while you're getting there uh, in your Bible or on your phone, uh, I want to remind you of this next Sunday uh, or next weekend, our Easter services. They're a little bit different. So we've got a Saturday night service that will meet at 7 o'clock. Uh, if you've got stuff going on Sunday morning or if the friends that you are bringing with you have something going on, can't make it on Sunday morning, please come with them on Saturday evening. Be with them here. Uh, or next Sunday morning, our night, if you were going to come early next week, you're normally here at this hour, but you were going to come earlier, we've got a 9 o'clock service, not 9.30, so it starts at 9. Uh, and then we have this service that will start at its normal time. And I want to make sure... Uh, that you know, our, we've moved those away. We're going to quiet your fears. We do not intend for the services to be longer, but what we want is to give our parking lot time to be able to uh, to empty and to fill again. And we've asked our, uh, our leaders uh, and volunteers for next week if they'll park in other areas of our parking lot and across the street at other lots that I'm not allowed to name, but you know what it is. And so if you're able to park over there in an odd kind of way uh, where there's a lot, uh, then... Um, then that would be helpful for our guests next week. And by the way, if MCC is your home, can I just listen? If you're here this morning, MCC is your home. Let me just say it that way. And so next week, you're not a guest. This is your home, and we've got guests coming to our home next week. And so if you would, would you go out of your way? Just introduce yourself to folks you don't recognize and have a big smile. And if they need help getting coffee, would you show them where that is? Or if they need help knowing where children's check-in, would you just show them where that is? Just go out of your way to introduce yourself and, and, uh, and be friendly next week, especially with all the guests in the house. Uh, and if you know what service you're coming to, we have sign-up sheets. Pat, are they sitting on that table back there? Okay, there are sign-up sheets. If you're willing to serve at the hour that you're going to be here in worship, would you go back and let Pat know that and those sign-up sheets are in the back of the room? That would be extremely helpful. And by the way, if you're watching us online, thank you for joining us there. Uh, we've heard from folks around the, actually around the world that are watching even on the other side of the world, and we appreciate you joining us, and we hope that what we're doing is helpful to you in your faith. And if, you're, if you are in the area, not everybody is, but if you're in the area and watching this and next Sunday you're able to, we would love to have you uh, join us here. So I hope that, that you'll do that. Okay. Everybody has John 11? Let's look at verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So Jesus had this good friend whose name is Lazarus who lived with his sisters Mary and Martha in Bethany, which is about a mile and a half away from Jerusalem. So whenever Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he would stay with his great friends. Well, one day... His friend Lazarus gets sick. And we don't know. I mean, maybe it was a fever. Uh, maybe he coughed up blood. Maybe the doctor found a lump. And they shook their head and they said, we're sorry. There's nothing more that we can do. And so in verse 3, they send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Lazarus is such a good friend. I point this out because he's such a good friend. They don't even have to say his name. They just say, the one that you love is sick. And they know that Jesus can heal him because they know he's done it for complete strangers. He's done it for people that he's never met before uh, in his life, which is why Jesus, what he does next is so strange. In verses 5 and 6, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? He, he stayed where he was two more days. Now that's kind of odd. I mean, don't you think? I mean, you 
you've had this call. If you, if you haven't, you're going to at some point. If you have children that are grown up, you will get this call in the middle of the night. Someone that you love who tells you, I need help right now. And your response is, right, the words that will come out of your mouth are going to be, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. And you're up and you are out as fast as you possibly can. You just drop everything. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't do that. He waits how many days? Two more days. And by the way, that's not just incidental information that John is giving us. He deliberately points this out. And so we're going to see how that works its way back in. Verse 17, Jesus finally arrives, but Lazarus has already been dead four days. Four days is a big deal because Jews believed that the soul of the departed would hang around the body for three days, hoping to get back in. But by the fourth day, decomposition had begun uh, happening and was so advanced that there now is no hope so the soul would leave the body. Lazarus has been in the grave how many days? Four days. So all the friends and family surround Mary and Martha. The neighbors come over with a casserole. The cousins bring a pie, right? The Sunday school class has brought a meat and cheese tray. And Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's about to have a conversation with the two sisters. As a matter of fact, in verse 21, Martha says, as part of the conversation, Lord, if you had been here. And in verse 32, Mary says it. Almost the exact same words. Lord, if you had been here. Do you wonder if they had that conversation? Do you think they were talking to each other about this? After Lazarus had died and said, you know, if Jesus had been here. I wonder if they had, if only Jesus was here. Lazarus got worse. Mary's looking out the window. She knows who she's going to see and never sees him coming. Their brother drifted in and out of consciousness. Martha's looking out the front door. Why is it? Why, where, he's not. Where, do you think they encourage? I, I wonder, did they say to Lazarus, just hang on a couple more. I'm just, hang on. He's on his way. He's going to be here any moment now. You hang on. Surely he will come because Lazarus is his friend. We're like his family. And when he hears Lazarus is sick, he will come. He'll be here. But that knock on the door, it never came. Jesus never came to heal Lazarus. He didn't even show up at the funeral. Funeral's over. The body is buried. The grave is sealed. And you know what those sisters are saying when they talk to Jesus, don't you? I wonder how many of us have said something similar to what they're, what they're actually saying. If, you'd, if you had only been here, what they're saying, in other words, is it's your fault. We were doing everything we could without the power of heaven. And you waited. You delayed. You didn't come help. Jesus, why didn't you do what we thought you should do? You ever gone to God with something important? And it just... Heaven just seems silent. And maybe you don't know what to think. You've prayed for Jesus to work in a miraculous way in your life, but nothing seems to be happening. I mean, God has not brought you that special someone to marry. The cancer isn't gone. Uh, you haven't found employment. The relationship you've been praying for still needs mending. You haven't gotten clarity about your future, and you've been asking God for that. On your handout is this quote. One of the key reasons many give up on their faith is that they believe it's true. They just don't believe it works. Which I wonder where Mary and Martha were. Because they're about to witness a miracle. But not everyone did. And I say that because I want to remind us that one of the reasons we forget 
that reality is we see what Jesus did, but we forget what he didn't do. Several weeks ago, we looked at the man uh, who had been a paralytic for 38 years, and he's, been, he's, he's laying at this pool, but he's not there by himself. As a matter of fact, when we read the story, we read a great number of disabled people were there with him. And we don't know how many that was. Scholars speculate it could have been hundreds of people by that pool. But let's say it wasn't hundreds. Let's say it was 10. There were 10 other paralyzed people. There were 10 other handicapped people. At the, let's say there were only five. What if there were only three? The question is still, how many people did Jesus heal? We only know of one. Why didn't he heal them all? I mean, he could have, right? I mean, Jesus had the ability to heal everybody who was, didn't he? Do you believe he had the ability to heal everybody? Sure, he's healed lots of people lots of times. Why didn't he do it then? I don't know. So if you ever thought the preacher knows the answers to all these things, I don't, I don't know why he didn't. But when I hit a question like that, I take some solace in remembering that God has told us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I don't hold on to that because uh, it's a cop-out. I hold on to it because it reminds me that sometimes I get what God is doing, and at other times I don't get it at all. I understand what he's doing here, but I don't understand at all what he's up to over here. And I'm angry or disappointed because he doesn't do his job the way I want him to. Can you hear that okay? God doesn't do his job the way I want him to do his job. Oswald Chambers said, and this is on your handout as well, sometimes it looks like God is missing the mark because we're too short-sighted to see what he's aiming for. And here's something else that I lean into at times when I don't understand what's going on around me. And for someone in this room, I'm wondering if this is your next step. It's this, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, please trust his heart. Please. And truthfully, sometimes this is all we've got. There isn't more than that in this moment. And while you can't see all of God in the moment that you're in, you have to trust all of that moment to what you know of God. Can we live with that? That sometimes we don't get to understand, we just have to trust God? Listen, in, in this conversation, in verse 25, Jesus says to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this. And I hope you can, when you've read this story before, I don't know if you picked up this detail or not, Jesus doesn't just assert his identity as the resurrection and the life. He follows it up with this question, do you believe this? Now, remember, Jesus hasn't raised Lazarus from the dead. He's four days in the tomb. M Martha is in despair talking to Jesus. Hope is dead now for four days. And yet Martha responds with this profession of faith. Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And I say that because I want you to catch. Someone in this room needs to hear this one little yes can change your life. If you say yes to the right thing, it could change your eternity. 
Now, it was customary in ancient Israel to bury someone on the day of death. After death, the Talmud prescribed seven days of deep mourning, 30 days of light mourning. And so Jesus has come in the middle of their deepest sorrow, and he grieves with him, which is why we read in John eleven thirty five 35 that Jesus wept. But I want to make sure you catch the force of what this word in the Greek means. It suggests that Jesus burst into tears. I don't know what you see when you see this scene. This is not one polite tear trickling down his cheek. Jesus loses it because his friend has died. And it reveals how much Jesus loved Lazarus. And for some of us who have never thought of this before, it reveals the God who sheds tears. And he doesn't just cry over us. The Bible says he collects our tears in a bottle. In the Old Testament, Psalm 56 We read, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. They're called tear bottles. They were fairly common in Roman times around the first century when Jesus was here. Mourners filled small glass bottles or cups with tears. They would place them in burial tombs as a sign of respect for the person they'd lost. Sometimes women were even paid to cry into these vessels. And as they walked along with the mourning procession, those crying the loudest and those who produced the most tears received the most compensation, according to legend. The more anguish and tears produced, the more important and valued the person who had died was perceived to be. Even in our own country during the American Civil War, women were said to have cried into tear bottles and then saved them for their husbands when they returned from the war to show them, to prove to them how much they adored their husbands and how much they had missed them. And I give you all of that just to say that our tears are precious to God, whether they're tears of joy or tears of sorrow or tears of pain. Not one of your teardrops is is lost on God. But Jesus isn't weeping for Lazarus. He's weeping for a world that goes as far as that can see. It just can't see past the grave. So in verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, and he said, take away the stone. And Martha said, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor. He's been in there how long? Four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That large stone served the two purposes uh, at at a grave site. Number one, it kept scavengers out so that the dead bodies, they weren't bothered by scavengers. The other reason, though, was it kept the smell in, right? They would have wrapped his body in strips of linen, about 75 pounds worth of spices, but the odor of a decaying body would be overwhelming after four days. And Martha says, are you sure you want to do this? Listen, John wants his readers to understand that Lazarus was dead. He didn't faint. You know, he's not... You know, he's not asleep in there. There's no doubt about this because Jesus waited how long to come? Even to the site. He delayed his trip for how long? Two days. And Lazarus has been in the grave now four days. And Martha just said, I believe you, Lord, are the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe in the resurrection. But it's been four days. It's too late. You get that, right? It's too late. Late, but it begs this question, and it, when it comes to God in your life, is, there, is it really ever too late for him? I mean, Superman may not be able to change time, undo what's been done, but God, right? He, 
God can, can't he? Not even you can save him now, is what she was saying. And I wonder if we struggle with that in our lives. We just kind of give up on stuff because, I mean, not even God can do anything about this now. You know, Jesus could have removed this stone by merely speaking a word. He could have had Lazarus go all Chuck Norris and kick it out of the way. This stone is not the barrier. These people have come as far as they can see, but when it comes to the tomb, they just can't see beyond it. And so in verse 41, they took the stone away, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And I just want you to notice, he's not asking God for a miracle. He's thanking him for one that's already been done. Did you pick that, did you pick that up? Jesus involves the folks who are around in this miracle. Not, not, you know, it's not sleight of hand, it's not entertainment, but it's to give them evidence. And he's not bringing Lazarus back to life for the sake of Lazarus. It was for the benefit of the living that he did this. In verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, if you're familiar with this story, what I'd like you to do is just forget how it ends for a moment. All right? And put yourself with an earshot of Jesus when he calls out, Lazarus, come out. Because you hear the words come out of his mouth. But if you don't know how this story ends, it's kind of hard to believe he just said that. I mean, who talks to dead people as if they can hear you? Who has the audacity to demand that the grave give up its dead? Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. There's this popular uh, sermon line from an old Puritan preacher. He said, it's a good thing Jesus called Lazarus by name, or he might have emptied out the entire cemetery. Can you imagine? Hey, come on. And everyone, like what Dr. Charles Crabtree said, never put a comma where God puts a period, and never put a period where God puts a comma. It is... It's faith that refuses to put periods at the ends of disappointments because God can make impossible things possible for us. Even when the application is denied. Even when the adoption falls through. Or the business, right, goes bankrupt. Or your marriage ends. Never put a period where God puts a comma. And at some point, most of us are going to end up with a dream. If you haven't already, and this is hard to tell you, because if you haven't experienced this yet, at some point you're going you're gonna to have a dream that ends up six feet under the ground. This dream that you had just dies on you. And we need to be aware, it's just never too late for Jesus. But there is another question that begs to be asked by this. From the other side of it, what needs to die so that it can be resurrected? Because maybe there are things that have died that you wish hadn't, but there are other things... If you're look, if, are there other things in your life that need to die so that God can reveal more of his power? You need to bury it. And then if it's resurrected, you know God did it. Mark Batterson said it takes courage to end an unhealthy dating relationship, but you will never find Mr. Right when you're dating Mr. Wrong. It takes courage to quit a job, but it might be the difference between making a living and making a life. It takes courage to change majors, but it's better to fail at something you love than succeed at something that you hate. And maybe you need to bury the relationship or bury the job or bury the major. Because that's when you wait to see if Jesus will show up. Because Jesus said in verse 25, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let's go to him in prayer. God, sometimes we just don't even know what to think. <laughs> there are things that happen in our lives that we, from our side of it, we don't understand. We don't, we don't get what you're up to. You're not doing what we think you ought to do. And it makes it hard for us to trust you. But it is our prayer this morning that we will anyway. When we don't, we know, when you don't do the things that we think you ought to do, when you don't do your job the way we want you to do it, and we forget we're not your boss, when we forget that you're the creator and the sustainer and the giver of life, when we forget that your thoughts are not like ours and your ways are higher than our ways, God, I pray that as a, a body of believers, a people who love you, that we will trust you in the hardest moments. And God, I pray that as we, uh, as we move forward, even this week, as we look toward Easter, that we will know who we are. And we will have made the decisions that we need to make as, as people who have gathered here this morning. Because your son has asked us a question that doesn't just deserve an answer, it demands an answer. And so God, may we answer his question this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So for years I've loved uh, that Jesus doesn't just talk about who he is and leave it at that, because you could walk away from that and go, oh, well, he's got a high opinion of himself. Uh, but he says all of this, and then he asks this question, do you believe this? And so for some of us this morning, your next step has to do with answering that question. In an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, Bono was asked uh, his opinion on Jesus, and this was the question that he was asked. Christ has his rank among the world's greatest thinkers, but Son of God, isn't that just a little far-fetched? And the lead singer of U2 uh, and Global Crusader Against Poverty said, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet who had a lot of good things to say along the lines of other great prophets like Elijah or Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius, but actually Christ doesn't allow that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I am telling you that I am God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. And Bono said, so what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or he was a complete nutcase. And so again, I point you to the verse. Because Jesus says, do you believe this? you believe that? So today I want to do something different. Something we don't normally do. Can I have you stand up? Would you stand up, please?
So really, here's the question. Be up on the screen. Because for you, this, this may be your next step. Do I believe this? Is this something that, that I believe? Now, most of, us, most of us in the room have settled this question by saying yes. But I realize, too, so many of us have said yes. We've answered the question. And others of us are here. There are people here who, for, for the very first time, and you don't know anything about us, and you, you don't even know anything about Jesus. You're just, I mean, you've been trying to figure it out, and you're just beginning to wonder about this. And so really, I'm talking to others in the room. And this may be a little uncomfortable. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Because if you have been here for a while and you've not settled this question... I want you to be uncomfortable because this question is too important to go unanswered in your life. So do you believe? Have you sensed that there is something in your life that has got to be killed because it is killing you? There is something going on in your life and it is destroying you and you know it. And you need to give it to someone who can take it away from you. Or maybe you've gotten comfortable with coming to church and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. I mean, it's easy to come to church. Sing the songs, stand up when you're supposed to stand up. Following Jesus, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole lot more difficult than just merely going to church. So Jesus asks you this question. Do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Do you believe that? Jesus said God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that if you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Do you believe this? And if you do, you need to do something about it. Now. And I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to do something way more difficult than that. I'm going to ask you to come down here. Now. I'm going to ask you to answer this question by stepping forward. So we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to be down front here. I've asked other leaders to join me up here. So if you want to talk to somebody about this, we want to help you. Listen. Don't walk out. When you walk out the door, you will have answered the question. When you leave this place today, if you have not solidly said, yes, I believe this, and yes, I'm going to do something about it today. If you don't say yes before you leave, you have also answered the question another way. I'm asking you. If you want, I will beg you. Please trust him. Please believe him.
if you do, I'm going to ask you to come down front while we sing this song.